0: Tonight we're starting a new series, and since we spent some time in scripture, spent some time on something that's kind of cultural, what I thought we would do is come back to a touch point that we started on many months ago, almost two, three years ago, when we kind of kicked off a new focus for the group. We'd kind of come up with this logo as kind of our examine your vision idea, and that's kind of be our series for the next few weeks. What this really means and what it's going to do and what we're focusing on is it's a chance for us in this group to work out some of our own personal ideas and theologies on some of the things that impact us in Christianity. Tonight, for example, we're going to be talking about the doctrines of salvation and understanding the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to take this down to an elementary basics level. What I really want to find out is having journeyed together as long as we have in different ways and all the different things we've talked about, I want to know what you guys think about some of these topics We're going to be tracking a book that, if you want to pick up, I can help you find a copy. It's out of print, but it's a book called Adventures in Missing the Point, written by Brian McLaren and Tony Campolo. They've got some ideas, and of course, as we do with everything else, we don't look at a single source. We're augmenting it with our own research and scripture. I'm looking at other authors, and I'm looking at other, just my own work on what do some of these things do. But here's the point of their book. They start off with the idea that a lot of times Christians just miss the point. They're spending so much time talking about the wrong things, they miss what maybe Jesus was really trying to say, what the church should really be about. So I'm not going to really track them 100% to the point where I want to title this series and chase that, but that's kind of where we're going to go. We're going to pick out some topics that seem familiar and find out if we even agree on what these topics are all about. Okay, So that's kind of what our series is going to kind of start off on. Tonight, let's start off with salvation, for example. These are, this is really, I'd like this to be as much, and I know we're usually a very group-oriented discussion group and debate, but this is really more for you guys to talk than for me to talk. Unlike a lot of our other series where you guys can interrupt anytime. this time I'm going to interrupt you. You guys should do do most of the talking. I want to find out from you what you think it means to be saved. Because in the church, it seems like we have such an emphasis on this concept. And maybe rightly so. Some of you might want to defend that concept and say this is a very important concept. Here are just some questions that I've thrown up here. And I'm going to start off with the questions first before we dive into anything that I have to say. What does it mean to be saved? If someone asked you if you were saved, what would you say? What would be your response? And if someone asked you how they could be saved, how would you respond what does it mean for you? And do you are you do you even consider yourself that? Is that is that a word that you would use for yourself?
1: You got to believe that Jesus was the son of God.
0: So you're defining salvation as You
1: have to believe that he was the son of God
2: and that he died and rose again.
0: So if you believe that he's the son of God and he rose again, you're saved. saved. All right, Phil.
2: And that's not necessarily giving the how we get saved, but what it means to be saved is that we aren't going to be punished and going to hell for the sins that we've committed for our affronts to God, basically.
0: Okay. Okay. So we're exempted from that penalty. Yeah. We've been saved that way. You want to add to it, Kevin?
2: It's got to be out of, like, a relationship with the Lord, too. It's, God, you know, he says, you know, there's going to be people who do things in his name, and they're going to come up there, and they're going to just... God's gonna say I didn't know you they they knew Jesus died you know they, they they believed in him but they didn't have a relationship with him a genuine relationship with me
0: okay so you want it to be personal yeah James
3: um, maybe to be saved is to be um, to re- to be rescued from your own rebelliousness uh, in a future sense in that eternal separation from God but in a present sense um, the present separation from God and the consequences thereof, you're saved because you don't have to live according to your past actions. You don't have to live according to the flesh that would try to make you live a certain way. You're saved instead to be able to live with God and for God.
0: Okay, if I skip down... Yeah, Angela, you want to add to it? Yeah, I wouldn't use
4: that word because it's like
0: God's to it. So you don't like the word saved? No. Okay. What, what's wrong with the word to you?
4: Because it's been abused. And since it's been abused, then you have to redefine what Christ is saying. I mean, I would probably say, um, oh, so you mean believe... I would use the definition other than the word. I'd be like, oh, you believe that Christ is... came to align you with the Father, or you, you want to be aligned with truth, you want to... I, I wouldn't use the word save, because... There's just bad stuff around it. It's just it's one of those words that people have used to exclude others. And and so when words have been used to to have like the self-righteous, because they already have those definitions input in, in
0: there. If I asked, if someone came up to you and said, How are you how does one become saved? Let's use the word for a moment, even though there's an objection made to using it which is why I put it in quotes, by the way. If I came to you and said, how can I be saved? What would you say? Yeah.
2: I think to acknowledge and realize internally that you are a sinful person and then accepting that the only way that you can be free from your sin or is to accept Jesus as Christ.
0: So how do I do that right now? Is that like, do we have to do
2: it? permanently believe something, that that's internally acknowledging something is a process that goes about it, even though it's not tangible. Um, but that has to happen. And if that is the case already, then there's no tangible thing that absolutely has to happen except i said it. Confessing it verbally.
0: Okay. Anyone else want to answer my question? If I said, if I just came up to you and said, "How how is one saved? How's it happen? What do I do? Do I raise my hand in church? What happens?
4: I, I would have to ask what. I would validate that the fact that they're seeking God, it already means that their hearts have been warmed.
3: What if someone goes, how do I get to heaven? What do you say? I'd be like,
4: well, the only thing you want from me is to tell you how to get to heaven. That's how I would respond. Sure. I, I would I have to see what they're, because if somebody's sincere, they're going to be like, I want a journey. It could happen automatically, but it usually takes a while to even understand the Teachings of Jesus and to surrender
0: to that are you saved
4: uh, if I have to use those words I must <laughs> I am convinced that I have a relationship
0: with Christ but I asked you if you were saved
4: yeah. and that means I will be with God in heaven I hate those
0: words no but if I, I just admire you and I want to be saved like you like how do I become like you That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right? <laughs> Is salvation a one-time event or is it a journey? You're kind of talking about it like it's some sort of process. Like, over time, I'm going to become saved. The
2: relationships or is, a journey, but the, the, it is like a one-time thing, though, too, because you know, ultimately, it's like with the Bible, it says it, you know, Romans 10, 9,
1: John 3, 16.
0: That's what it says. <laughs> well, what are, what, I mean, just Tell us what the verses say.
1: looks well, like you guys want to... So the the okay. okay.
0: Okay, that's John 3.16, and what's Romans
3: 10.9? Romans 10.9 is if you can, wait, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe uh, in your heart that God is free from the dead, you will be saved.
0: Okay, but what, what does that equal? If I say Romans 10.9, I believe with my heart, I am... It's, you're saved. I'm saved?
2: That's what it says.
0: Okay. It right. Kevin?
2: Well, what do you do with, like what I said earlier, how God says heard these people say I did these things in your name.
1: They're ministering in the name of Jesus. They didn't believe in their heart. It's your heart. Your
0: heart. So they were faking it. It's
1: acts. Yeah, I totally think so. Saved by grace through All right. faith, okay. not by acts. Okay.
0: Okay. That's that's the thing. Yeah.
1: I'm, trying to, I'm
3: looking for it right now. But continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right. Um, so salvation is a, a one-time event. There's a moment in time where you become saved, but then it's also a, a process. You work out your salvation. What does this mean for me? What is this? Salvation is is an acceptance, it's a commitment, and it's a relationship. You accept what Christ has already done, you commit yourself to him forever, and you walk in that relationship.
1: I guess you could say it's the beginning of the new journey.
0: Oh, okay. So it's, but then it doesn't sound like it's a one-time event then. I mean, so far the skeptics kind of scratch his head going, I oh, don't know, like, I, just, I was asking a simple question like, how do I become like you people? But it sounds like you people are all over the, the map. All right. You guys have probably seen this before. We've asked this question. All right. If you had to tell me, according to your beliefs, what I should do to journey with Christ somehow, here are my choices. A, you accept him first, then read the Bible, then ask some questions about it then grow in your faith, and then finally get involved in what Christ is doing on earth. That's choice A. B, let's get involved in Christ's work on earth, ask some questions, read the Bible, grow in my faith, and then later accept Christ. That's kind of my other journey to salvation. So this one's kind of like start off with accepting him and then some other stuff, leading finally to working. B is like, you know, just get involved right from the beginning, start journeying, reading, asking questions, and then someday I'm going to accept Christ. C is, let's read the Bible, ask questions, grow in your faith, accept Christ, and then get working. So that's kind of more the educational method. You know, I want to first know what it's about, accept him, and then I'll get busy doing his work once I accept him. What, which one do you think is the right approach and, and why? I mean, I know there could be other approaches, but if you had to pick between these three, all right, what would you pick? Philip? B and C both offer
2: valid approaches depending on the person. A is the only one I don't know because I, I can't see someone just out of the blue having no questions whatsoever about anything, but just accepting Christ and being like,
0: huh, now I'm confused. What does A sound like? What I mean, what what kinds of uh, models would A use? If you're going to evangelize using A, how does that work? Can you give me a real-life example?
1: Sure, Harvest Crusade.
0: Yeah, okay. You're at the big Dodger Stadium, right? Okay. But you hear a sermon or a street evangelist, and he tells you this thing, and he tells you how... Jesus loves you, and he's going to save you, and he draws a picture, and there's a cross, and it's a bridge, and all these things, and at the end of it, you're really excited, you know, because you're thinking, like, I finally figured out the way to get to heaven, cross the chasm, so I start with A. I'm going to accept Christ, then he hands me my little Gideon's Bible, and I go home, I start to read. I have no idea what it's all about. You know, I ask questions, I grow in my faith, and then someday, I get involved. Yeah, you guys
3: laugh, but I see that happen all the time. I mean,
0: Right. I think it's All, the, all right um, hey, I look, I think A, B and C, I'm just trying to figure out where you guys are at Kevin.
2: Oh, I, I was gonna give another a example um, was someone starts you know they're in a traumatic accident, you know and they're like all of a sudden thinking spiritual, Lord, if you get me out of this, um, you know I give my life to you and like it's just an instantaneous thing.
0: Sure. Is there one up there? Okay, I'm not saying that people can't come to Jesus. I mean, people can come to Christ in lots of ways, yeah. you know. And and you guys, I, I like the kind of, yeah, we're making fun of A, but we like to use the example, Lena and I, of, of, of somebody who was handed a track who laughed at it and threw it away and it landed at a bus stop and the guy later on, a different guy, walked over, was sitting at the bus, picked up the track, and was saved by reading the track. Okay, Lots of, God can do anything, including appear to you know, Saul on the road to Damascus. I mean there's lots of ways that he can bring about what I'm asking you to work out is which one do you think works best? Which one do you think would would you think is probably the right approach if we were going to structure a campaign around it or try to think how can we bring about a most you know positive result using these things. Yeah.
2: Apparently it's not something that we should structure approach around one way. Like because people are different and God chooses to work.
0: Okay, Ben?
2: Oh, yeah, I agree with you on that, that we're different people, you know, accepted different ways. But I think in our culture today, one of the things that people are looking for is what is the church doing for people? Like, they're missing God's love in that. And I think, honestly, B, I've seen work really well because people are seeing Christians actually going out and doing the same thing that the humanitarian, secular humanitarians are. They're going. Oh wow! The church is actually alive. I think I've seen that actually work really well. I think for some people, though, reading the Bible and actually doing the thought
0: process works well too. But I think okay. the okay. Angel,
4: I think we need to make a distinction between like, what I'm hearing people say is uh, using the word justification, and I wanna I wanna clarify
0: Christ's work on the cross. Let's do that. There is a difference between these three concepts, and Angela was just about to highlight it. So do you want to use that and explain what you think?
4: Justification is, it's done on the cross. Jesus paid for it in full on the cross. I think what happens, though, is that there's an unveiling that happens to us where we realize, and I think that happens, it could happen right away, it could happen in a long process, uh, but then we realize God's kindness and love, and we want to surrender to it but I want to
0: validate that there is an unveiling that happens that is in a moment, or it could be in a period of time. Right. Paul separates these concepts into three different concepts, by the way. And let's just kind of a very quick summary of Pauline theology on salvation. Just to remind you, he believes that justification, like Angela said, is is an act that was done by Christ that cannot be earned. It's the grace that he gives us is the act of justification. It's the act that gives us... The right to be just in front of God. You were talking, Ken, a while about about salvation and saved. Okay, let's take the salvation word out and dissect it into three different words that are used. Justification is that concept some of you are scratching at where it's like by the grace of God and through nothing that we did but solely as a result of what he did, we are made just. We are justified to, to God, so that there is no longer a penalty, and that's that s- concept of salvation some of you were talking about, about being saved from the penalty. okay? But that's that may be the point that some of you are identifying as the one-time thing. Now, I don't mean one-time thing like you say it only because you say a prayer. I'm saying that the justification, you don't do anything to get. It's there. You just have to accept that. That's the acceptance point. From that point on, As some of you started talking about a journey that goes forward, that's the concept of sanctification, a lifelong effort to become more Christ-like. You have time on earth, unlike perhaps the thief on the cross who has no time on earth, when he turns to his left or right and discovers Jesus right there and finds his quote-unquote salvation through justification at the last moments of his life. He doesn't have time to go on this road of sanctification to become more Christ-like. He's just there at that moment. But everyone in this room who proclaims that Christ is their God, we have time to be on this road of sanctification. And finally, there is the concept of glorification when we're finally glorified by the Father at that moment of judgment when of course, because we've been justified, we will be glorified. And that's also biblical from Romans, that those people who've been justified will be glorified and brought into heaven. Okay? But this is the concept that a lot of Christians forget, the sanctification. We are so focused sometimes in our churches, and maybe not this group, but in churches about getting someone to raise their hand, come down the aisle, say the prayer, kind of making it like I'm an in or I'm out. And there is some truth to that under the concept of justification. But then we forget that while we're clubbing everybody over the head sometimes with are you saved, when were you saved, how were you saved, that we're not working out the rest. And that might be that concept of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because there's that concept of how far we are from true Christ-like, imitation. We're so far away from that, but we're constantly hoping moving closer and closer to it. So I want to throw the concept out because we use this damaged word sometimes. I think Angela's probably correct that it's somewhat misused and damaged that we're so focused on whether people are saved. And it's really kind of multiple concepts rolled up into a word that we use interchangeably sometimes, and we're not really even dealing with the true issues. Because even people that have been Quote unquote, saved or justified, still have a lot of work to do and they're not getting it done. Maybe that's us. In Brian McLaren's book, he makes this analogy of a race. He says, Imagine that there was a kingdom in which everyone was bored out of their minds. And there was nothing to do in the land, so they decide that the best thing they're going to do is put on a race. And everybody is excited to come see this race. And here are some of the runners getting ready for the race. And, of course, there's people who don't even believe there's going to be a race. So they don't even show up. But then there are some people who are excited to see a race. So they all line the stadiums. And some of the runners actually show up ready to run. And they line up on the starting line. And everybody's excited to see because the promise is if you run this race, you can run as long as you want and you'll never get bored. And everybody wants to see what it's going to be like. And the gun goes off and the runners... Jump across the starting line, take about two or three steps, and stop. In Brian McLaren's version of this story, one falls to the ground and starts thanking the Lord for the race. Another one starts writing songs about the race and about what it's like being a runner. But nobody's actually running. And all the people in the audience are looking down in the in the stands and thinking, what are these guys doing? We wanted to see people run a race. They're just standing there. And the analogy comes back to how many Christians view salvation. We take the first few steps past the starting line, not realizing that it's just the start. That might be the concept of justification being that line. It's just the beginning. It's not the end. It's not the finish line. Just as silly as it would be to watch people falling on their knees and thanking somebody for starting the race when they haven't even finished it, or even run past the second or third step, or watching people write all these songs about what it's like to be a runner, how great the race is, and all these things, is sometimes the way we spend all our time writing songs and things about all these concepts, and we're not actually running the race. In the parable, the people watching kind of get frustrated and figure that they could run this thing better than all those people that they came to watch. And I'm sure that they signify the people that are watching us as Christians sometimes who are so excited about being saved, just crossing the starting line that we have no concept that we really should be running a race, as Paul tells us, towards a finish line, not just a starting line. So I hope that kind of helps us to start working out some of the things and identifying. And if you see what it is that we're trying to talk about is we're not trying to define all of theology in the next few weeks. We're trying to just hit a couple of concepts that say, yeah, what are I th- think about that. Where do I fit on that? Am I kind of missing a point a little bit of what's it's supposed to be? Yeah. Do you have a comment?
1: Well, just as in a race, being saved, having the ability to go to heaven, is like those that just started the race. And your reward in heaven is just as in a race, the person that finishes first has a better reward than the person that finishes 100. If you believe the fundamentals of Christianity and you believe that Jesus, you know, is the son of God, uh, you know, died on the cross, rose again, the fundamentals, and, and you do believe in your core, then that's starting the race. Uh, it doesn't mean that you'll be driving a Mercedes in heaven. It means that you might be on the huh. skateboard, you know, but nevertheless, you're there.
0: Yeah, I love the story of the thief on the cross for that reason. Right. I mean I love that that story was recorded for our benefit because right. I mean what did he understand? We don't know, but it couldn't be much unless he had been following Jesus around before he decided to kill or steal or whatever he did, right? right? Okay? I mean, we know that he turned to him and said, "I believe in who who you say you are." That's enough. That was I mean there was not much dialogue going on.
1: Right. And that's all that was necessary. And that's
0: all that he was needed to do. Right. You know? To sum up, we just I just want to make sure that we are clear, and that's the reason we're presenting it, is that there are many different subsets to this concept. And I don't want to have us just come away with the idea that all you need to do somewhere is just raise your hand, which may be enough, okay? But there's a whole race to be run afterwards that some of us are not paying attention to or encouraging others to participate in. Let me throw up a similar concept. Kingdom of God. What is it? Where is it? And how does one become part of the kingdom of God? You know, if you look at Jesus' ministry, it seemed like the central reason for his ministry was to tell people that the kingdom of God is at hand. Every parable we looked at when we were dealing with our parable series was trying to say the kingdom of God is like this. He's teaching about the kingdom. All right, so if it's so important that he would come here and say, my purpose is to tell you it's here and I'm going to tell you all these parables and teach so much about it, what is it? We throw that word around all the time. We want to be for the work of the kingdom. You know, We want to matter in the kingdom. We want to see the glory of the kingdom. What is it? And where is it? Or when is it? How do you join it?
1: I think that... As a child of God, you are part of the kingdom
0: already. Okay. Where is the kingdom? If, 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 if someone's saying to you, like, are you talking about heaven? No. What is it, no. Ben?
2: No, I, I agree with him. I think we are the kingdom. We're the kingdom. Yeah. No, it's here now. The body of Christ.
0: All right. So, what, I mean, when you say it's here now, like, what, what's what's it doing? Is it just like a membership? You get an automatic membership in the kingdom of God if you become saved?
2: Sort of. I mean, we're... we're... We're a bunch of people who our king is God, so we're a part of a kingdom.
0: Okay. That it? We have a dual citizenship. Yeah. We are the body
4: of the kingdom of God, but then it's also like
3: an
0: idea. I. Right? Yeah, as a believe, as a, as a, as an, as a inquiring believer, I'm getting really confused so far. Go ahead. I <laughs> think
3: the kingdom of God is anywhere in one and under the rule and authority of God. It's uh, a now and not yet sort of concept. It's, it's something that is present in that Christ came in. It's something that's, kingdom of God is I think, when Christ came before Christ, they were laying the ground for it. For when Christ came, the invasion of the kingdom of God into this world began. And it's proceeding forth, um, but it's not fully here yet. It's, it's waiting for the glorification part of the salvation part. It's waiting for when Christ comes again. He'll usher in the reign, the, the, that time of the kingdom of God. But in the meantime, we're about the business of the kingdom and advancing the kingdom by sharing the gospel, by being about the things that Jesus was about.
0: So it's more than just belonging to the kingdom. There's something here that we're, that the kingdom is doing?
2: You were talking about first, what is it? And I think that was what the conversation was focused on. It wasn't that we were just we really got to saying, well, what is it due? And really, the kingdom of God is just the group of body of believers. And what it does is the things that God wants the group of the body of believers to do. It's the body of Christ. it wants to act like
0: Christ. Isn't the church the body of Christ? So the church and the kingdom are the same thing?
2: At least under this definition of what I'm starting to understand, I, I think I'd agree with that. But yeah, the church and the kingdom of God, those concepts are very synonymous. Okay. Um, it has to do with the idea of Jesus coming back as a king. And I think it's
4: very specific what Christ was saying. You think the kingdom of God, the Jewish people, was going to look like this. But this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's feeding the poor. It's healing the broken. So it's just redefining what it means to be the people of God.
0: Okay. Jesus told us to pray this prayer, right? Lord's Prayer. And in the midst of the Lord's Prayer, there's these words. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, if you're part of the kingdom... What does it mean when the kingdom comes? Yeah, yeah. Well,
3: I don't think that the kingdom is synonymous with the church, and I don't think it's synonymous with heaven either, or just both of them added together. Well, what Jesus said to the Pharisees when they're questioning what he was doing, he said, you know, if, if, you know, when you're talking about driving out demons. He says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is truly money. It has nothing to do with whether the believer is present or not. He's talking about the power of God being there to work, to do what the kingdom is there to do, to drive out Satan, to preach the lost, to, or to preach the gospel to the lost, to bring out the captives, to open the eyes of the blind, to reconcile people with God.
0: Okay. Let's take a quick straw poll. How many people think the kingdom of God is limited to heaven? Okay that's good. You're actually in a minority of Christians, but it's good that you're in that minority because a lot of Christians believe that's what the kingdom is. How many people think the kingdom of God is limited to earth? Because if you look at the Lord's prayer, he's kind of hinting that it's probably somewhere in both of them. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys are already scratching at the fact that there might be more than one idea of what the kingdom really is and it may not be all encompassed in one or the other let me lay it out the way theologians explain this they actually believe the kingdom is divided into three concepts and i want to get the names right i'll try to do this you talked about the kingdom being god's rule over everything as a king that's called the kingdom of power the fact that god has always ruled and will always rule and that everything is subject to him in some way there's what's called the kingdom of grace. It's what Jesus ushered in when he said the kingdom is at hand. What he's really talking about in that specific context is the kingdom is available to you now. You can now begin to enter into the kingdom through that grace, through that justification that we were just alluding to. The kingdom's available now. Not necessarily heaven right away. He's saying you can enter the kingdom today. And be subject to me as king today, here on earth. And there's a kingdom to come, which is that word, thy kingdom come, is implying both together. Both of the kingdom is here now. It has come, and we pray that it will come. That's the kingdom of glory, when we are glorified in the end. So there's this concept and attention that all three are going on at the same time. God's power His grace to bring people in and also the glory that's yet to come in the kingdom that we finally get to, as Anthony said, where there is actually, we arrive at the destination and live in his kingdom. When you pray thy kingdom come, you're praying two things at the same time. Lord, bring everybody into grace, into your kingdom now, but at the same time, hurry up the days when this is over and we're with you. There's a tension between those. Because we want as much time as possible to bring as many people to a knowledge of Christ, while at the same time we're saying, yeah, but we'd like it all to be over and be with you at the same time. The reason I raise those is because you hear this word bantered around all the time, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And most of us really need to put it into those contexts and understand we argue and debate and misunderstand some of the things that Jesus said because we're not catching the terminology straight. Philip?
2: I think I'm just not understanding. Um, So I understand that you're saying that at least in three different contexts, like kingdoms to different things, and that's
0: each of those three things are. it has. It's the same kingdom, but it has basically more than a... It's not just context and words being used differently. It actually has three components. The kingdom is, if you combine the concept that God is sovereign and rules a kingdom of everything... And add to it the concept that Jesus announces that now you can enter the kingdom now before, you know, eternity or heaven or whatever you want to call it. That today the concept is the kingdom is open for anyone who wants to do the work of the Lord today and be part of the Lord's kingdom now. The kind of now and the not yet part is the part that says, and there is actually a further fulfillment of the kingdom For those who are part of it, when we finally reach the destination, we're glorified in that eternal version of the kingdom. For example, if you said the kingdom of God was only heaven, it would exclude the fact that the kingdom of God is available now. What does that mean? Well, it's it's God saying to his people, those who choose to believe in him, you don't have to wait until heaven to get busy doing my work, to be part of my kingdom. Yes, you live in an imperfect world. Yes, this is all going to end badly for the world. But you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to be part of the kingdom that I've set up. The kingdom is available now. You want to get busy? Let's get started. Now we're going to talk in just a second about what that you can be doing and why Christians are often wrong spending their whole focus trying to get to heaven because that misses what Jesus says when he says it's at hand now. Let me just conclude with this. If there is a part of the kingdom that's available to us today, which is God saying you don't have to wait to get to heaven. If you become a child of God, if you accept me, I've got work for you to do now that's about the kingdom today. I know, you guys, this is really easy. What can we do that's part of the kingdom today? We don't even need to take hands on this. You guys know there's people to feed, there's things to do, there's people to care for, there's people to love, there's people to you know to, to give money to, whatever it is, that's the work of the kingdom. I don't think it's too elementary, probably, for us to spend time like raising our hands going tithing and all that okay we know the question is does it do any good because one of the concepts that people look at when you look at what do you do today with the gospel what do you do today with the kingdom that's here on earth where God is saying you're in love you now get to work the question people ask and they're divided into kind of two broad groups there's a lot of subgroups but two broad groups People who believe in a social gospel believe that we, collectively as Christians, being empowered by God, could make this world a better place. We believe that we can do good in the world in the name of Jesus and somehow save the world from itself, keep it from getting worse and worse all the time, and that we should be working tirelessly day and night to do everything we can Because this is part of God's kingdom. It's right here on earth. And we can be doing that work. People who take more of a dispensationalist view. They say, look, the Bible's clear. It's not getting any better. We're just wasting our time thinking that we're going to improve things around here. That we really should just focus on getting as many people to heaven where it's going to be good. But as far as trying to save this world, we know it's going to burn. So why are we wasting our time saving this world? That's probably a harsh statement of the way I said it. I wouldn't say they were wasting their time. They're just saying our resources would be better spent trying to get people into the kingdom to come in the next life because this one, even if the kingdom is available and we're part of it, there's only so much we can do because Jesus promises us that it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So why fight the tide? I mean, it's biblical that it's going to get worse. Who are we to think we could stop it? What do you think about those two?
1: I think the second one is,
0: the second one's wrong?
1: Yes.
0: So you think that we can stop the tide? You think no, that the revelation's think, wrong? I don't
1: think that we can stop the tide, but I think that people that think that way and don't act on uh, doing the social gospel, just doing the saving souls and forget about the social gospel is 100%. Okay. But
2: I understand the cost-benefit analysis. If you have only some X amount of resources and the world's going to go and burn... Why would you try to improve something that will eventually burn when it would be better ultimately if like, even if all of your resources could make a thousand people happy, but you could take those a thousand people, make them unhappy, but save one of them, that would be more worth it.
0: But without a cost-benefit analysis, what if you were asking Jesus that question, go, Jesus, would you rather that I comforted 999 people but they're never going to get to salvation, or would you rather I I just make sure that one person...
1: Okay, well, put it this way. How did Jesus live? He didn't do only good to people because he was expecting them to be part of his kingdom. He did good irregardless of how they treated him. So, you know, you, you go all the way down to Peter, cut off a guy's ear, and Jesus put the ear back on the dude that took him to jail. I mean, you know, it's like... So it's not about just saving souls and it's not about, you know, uh, the kingdom of heaven only because that's not how Jesus lived his life at all. Zero.
0: Okay, but are you supporting the, the other people, though? Do you think that that we can make this world a better place?
1: No. Okay, long term, long term, no, we're not going to make it better. The Bible already says that. I think that we can make people's world better. Uh, you know, if, if, if we're able to touch... 100,000 people in our life, or 10 people in our life. We're going to make those people's world better. We're only going to be here for so long. We can only do what we can do while we're here.
0: Yeah, but this is really not an individual thing. Because our temptation in modern-day Christianity is to think of everything in ourselves. Like, we have this one-time relationship with God all by ourselves. I I really think we should think of this as a church body that will outlive our individual 60-, 70-, 80-year life. Like, what is a church... Say God is true to his word and he's patient so that none will perish and he's going to give us another thousand years to do this, you know? And he's like, I'm not coming back until there's a three in front of the number of the year, right? You just take your time. Right. Okay, as a church, should we be thinking, well, uh, we got a long time. Let's do the best we can to make this heaven on earth or let's just try to see how many people we can get into the kingdom because, you know, the rest of the people are... Yeah? Uh, by beating them
4: over the head with the Bible
0: no even expressing
4: the kingdom of god to them is to advocate for them and to stand for the abuse and so forth so we need to be a presence because if we are the kingdom of god in person and flesh then we need to be a presence of the kingdom of god as an evangelistic tool okay the
3: dispensational mindset might be wrong i mean what is wrong that we shouldn't be concerned about people that we shouldn't love people while we're here but you seem so vehement against the idea that, well, evangelism is important. And speaking with words, preaching and teaching, like it says in Timothy, is important. You can't minimize that. But at the same time, you shouldn't do that to an exclusion. No, what I'm she saying what I'm
1: saying is that, that living that way 100%, not including the social gospel, is what's wrong. Uh, you know, you've so obviously got to have both. Right. I mean,
0: okay. Senior, both. So we're starting to advocate a hybrid. The point of tonight and the point of the rest of the series that we're going to be touching on is really to get you guys a little bit, it's good that you're getting stirred up about some of these things. It's to show that we in the church sometimes do misuse words. We don't understand exactly what we're saying. We speak at cross angles at one another because we're not even using the same language. And we're not understanding the concepts in their correct form. So we're arguing about things that are misinterpretations sometimes. And that's how we miss the point. I don't want us to think that salvation is a one-time event or that you have to be on a forever journey trying to earn it either. Paul takes great lengths in Romans to explain it. Maybe you want to look into it. The kingdom of God is a concept that takes a while to fully grasp, but we throw the word around all the time. Here, I think we need to take a hybrid approach. I think that the Bible commands us, especially in Matthew 28, for us to go into the world and preach the gospel and not to hold back But if you look at Jesus' ministry, it was punctuated at all times with action. All right, That's not to earn it. He didn't have to earn anything. It was to set an example of the way that we should care for people. In my life, I've made the mistake of always saying that Jesus wasn't a healer because he was there for more important ministry. If he wanted to heal, he would just spend time healing. And then I read the Bible and there he was just healing. (laughs) Again, because I missed the point. Because there's times when I want to remake God into my way and say, no, no, he was all about evangelism, getting the word out and preaching parables and teaching. and That's what he was doing. And then if you read in Matthew, you no, know, he just actually took time out in certain moments that maybe don't make up large parts of the Bible because they weren't that momentous, but he was actually just walking around just spending time healing. So it's kind of a wake-up call sometimes. Take a hybrid approach. Yeah, we need to spend time working with people and doing what Jesus would do if he was here. We're not going to save the world at least save it from its demise. But at the same time, to just give up and say, ah, you know, it's all going to burn. The only thing worth saving is just a bunch of souls, and we've dehumanized people and turned them into just souls to win and not realize that even Jesus, he wanted to first deal with people as humans, as who they were, you know, and not just try to win them over.
4: If you were to give a percentage so that's more...
0: Where would you fall? You mean preaching versus doing? If you're talking yeah. to give me a, a percentage weight? Yeah. You know, the problem with that as a percentage weight is I'm going to give you an answer that probably matches yours, but I don't agree with you. <laughs> Here's how it would work. I would say that you should probably spend 70% of your time doing and 30% of your time teaching and, and, and preaching, okay? But that's not how I feel about the importance of them. That's how much I think I should allocate my time. Because I believe with a few words, you could say something and action takes much longer to put together. So you need to spend more time on action. But if you ask me to say, which one would you favor? I would almost favor the teaching and preaching slightly over just the doing. Only because my personal bend is to say, even if you heal and love someone to death your whole life, but you never actually speak to them and tell them about the word of God and give them the chance to know what it is all you've done is fed them and clothed them and loved them. And that's important, but it's not as important as what they would gain if they had the opportunity presented to them to accept Christ and find themselves in an eternity that's much better than the way I would clothe them and feed them. They're going to live forever in a kingdom where they won't need anything forever. And and so that's why I would say time-wise, you and I are probably in agreement. Importance-wise on what I ultimately want to see I would feel like it would be a loss somehow if I spent my whole life just doing nothing but loving and caring and never actually presented the other piece. Okay, I love the fact that we had a lot to talk about. We've got lots more like these coming up. Um, Some of them to talk about. We're going to be looking at all sorts of issues that the church debates and struggles with. And And the point here is not to come up with the definitive answer as much as it is to see where people miss each other. And also at the same time to see what you guys think for a change. All right, let's pray, wrap up, hang out tonight. If you want to keep talking about this stuff, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your patience that you would even take the time to dwell amongst us as we debated things that surely must make you laugh when you hear them. Even in the midst of our own conversations, Lord, you must be thinking, didn't I say it clearly enough that we still are trying to grasp at the wisdom and the words that you lay? And it's an attention tension and a discussion that we start to understand you more. And Lord, take it from our minds that we would ever be smart enough to understand you or to explain you or to fully grasp you. For you are God, you are infinite, you are greater than we are. Lord, right now we take all these things that are of our mind, we lay them aside, and we come back just in a moment of worship to the eternal God who even allows us to spend time dwelling on his name. Pray these things in your name. Amen.